Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So the lacrosse goal, the Michigan, the Svechnikov, the Forsberg, whatever you want to call it, it has poisoned the minds of the ESPN editorial staff. And I'll tell you why. We put together a top 10 coolest goals scored in the NHL list that ran this week on ESPN.com. And let me tell you, there are some on here that I love. The Peter Forsberg, the Pavel Datsuk flip during the shootout, Yager slicing through the defense, Savard slicing through the defense, Mario, deking, sliding, slicing through the defense. Number one, without question, Ovechkin, the goal, scores it on his back. Awesome stuff against the Coyotes. Everybody remembers it, 2006. But number two on the list is the lacrosse goal. Would you, do you consider the lacrosse goal to be the second greatest version of a cool goal in NHL history? Honestly, I think it's been diluted lately because not only did Svechnikov just do it in a game, but we've now seen it in the OHL. We've seen it in Sweden. We've seen other guys do it. And like maybe because Austin Matthews tried it a few times and couldn't execute it and everyone in Toronto went crazy and said this must be the hardest thing in the entire world. Um, but yeah, I think it's been diluted. I mean, the only thing you can really pull off is a mustache from what I've seen. But I think the thing he- for me is that- – <laughs> Depends on how 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 much how many how many buttons he has undone. To be quite honest, yeah, with you on yeah, a shirt, yes, yes. Then, then it's it's at least if he can get four buttons undone and with the mustache, then he pulls off the mustache. No, I here's the thing about lacrosse goals. Incredible. First of all, whenever we talk about anything in hockey, we are talking about things that I can't accomplish given ten years of training. Let's just be honest. But the lacrosse goal. When I look at the other goals in this list and I see these incredible feats of athleticism and slicing through defenses and, and deking and shooting and doing things lightning fast speed that just defy logic and, and gravity, the lacrosse goal is basically just like surprise. It's just basically like the goaltender has his back to you and you put the goal, the puck on your, on your blade and you sneak it past him. And that's, that's fine. It's a cool goal, but it, essentially what it is, is somebody always has to have their back to you based on the position that, that they play. And you're taking advantage of this by sneaking the puck like over his shoulder. It's fun. It's a super surprise. It reminds me of, you know, like a, you know, people jumping out from behind the couch for your 30th birthday or whatever. But as a goal, as a pure athleticism, give, give me the deacon through 5D to get and making a, you know, backhand shot and just doing the whole deke thing. That's what I want. You know what I want? I see all these names on this list and we've got the Yagers of the world. We've got Crosby. We've got Pavel Bure, Dennis Savard, Merrick Malik. Big hulking Merrick Malik and his shootout goal through the legs. That is surprising athleticism. That's surprising athleticism and remains the only – the Merrick Malik goal to shootout apologists is like the Roswell crash to UFOlogists. Like this thing <laughs> happened once and that's why we should believe in aliens. Like this thing happened once and that's why we should have the shootout go 16 rounds with different people because a random – third pairing defenseman might score an amazing goal like it's it's now gospel to these freaks that like the shootout the one thing i'll say about this list that's spoken like a true devils like, fan yeah because well a true three on three aficionado yeah, the thing that surprised me about this list is that Connor mcdavid didn't make it and i've had some people point out to me 
after this list dropped, they're like, where is McDavid? And the only thing I can think is that, like, maybe he scored so many great goals that it's just commonplace and, like, none of them really are that exceptional because they're all exceptional. Maybe it's some sort of mm. Randian thing where, you know, if we're all super, none of us are super. I don't know. But why? Don't, I mean, did you remember, like, was McDavid even a choice when we did this voting? I I want to say yes, but probably no. And you're right. Like I can think of a half a dozen of his goals off the top of my head and all of them are amazing. But then we just call it Wednesday for him. Right. Exactly. He's God level. So we don't, we don't even have to laud any of his goals on this top 10 list because he's, he's, he's on his own list. He's on the no, kind until of he puts list. the puck in his mouth and spews it out to the unexpected goalie. He will remain off this list. That was my favorite part of this list, by the way, is the what comes next portion at the end. <laughs> On what could possibly be coming next in, in, insofar as like the future of goal scoring. It's good. Yeah. Stuff. My favorite was doing the lacrosse and spin by Nikita Gusev, which literally occurred in the KHL all-star game where anything can happen and there's no possible way that could happen in a game. Yeah. And you know, and every shot and hardest shot is like 500 miles an hour. Cause you know, KHL is why. All right. Coming up on the show. It's, it's a really good show. Actually, Willie O'Ree. My God. An actual legend graces this podcast with his presence. We talked to Willie about a great many things, including his awesome new documentary that you can catch on ESPN Plus, um, and uh, and also you know issues with race and hockey, which Willie is eloquent and awesome on. Plus, the Penguins make a trade. We might be going back to the Olympics, maybe. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, mm-hmm. buck headlines, and all that more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN on ice. It's the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And Greg, we have a trade and it was not one for one. It was not one for one at all. Uh, yeah, trade to announce. It was fun. Um, it dropped when, uh, I was walking a dog. So that's always exciting. It was the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, making the big old deal with the Minnesota Wild. Finally, Jim Rutherford gets his white whale. I am Captain Ahab and, uh, gets Jason Zucker finally from the Minnesota Wild, uh, the Wild, uh, deal him for Alex Galchenyuk's expiring contract. Defenseman Kalen Addison, which is an extraordinarily young uh, defenseman in 2020 name, and a conditional first-round pick that will not be the Wilds if the Penguins are in the lottery. But since the Penguins are have the fourth-best record in the NHL right now, probably a 2020 first-round pick going to the Wild for Jason Zucker. Now, Zucker uh, has uh, he's in the second year of a five-year, $27.5 million contract. Of course, Emily, we remember that he almost became a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins last year in a deal that would have sent him and Victor Rask to Pittsburgh in exchange for uh, lovely and talented Phil Kessel and uh, lovely Jack Johnson. And uh, that fell through when Phil said, yeah, nah, not going to Minnesota, nah, ha, nah. So Jason Zucker, now a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins couple thoughts on this deal. One, I think that this is technically a cost-saving deal for the Penguins, um, and I'll explain why. One, they rid themselves of Alex Gilchenyuk for the rest of the year, so they didn't have to do any other, you know, finagling there. 
Two, they can fire their entire amateur scouting department because they don't have any first-round picks and there's no purpose of having one. Um, so look, they save a ton of money there. Uh, but all jokes aside, I think that, um, uh, you know, Bill Guerin wasn't going to get fleeced on this deal. Nobody knows the Penguins prospect system better than Bill Guerin, who literally ran it for the last couple years as the assistant GM in Pittsburgh. Um, this is a really great first statement trade for him as the GM. Uh, Zucker yeah. is a guy who, you know, it's a luxury. Like they didn't need to get rid of him. They have him under contract. He loves being there and he's a great player. Um, but if teams kept calling on him and they did, um, they got a really good return. Um, getting a first round pick, getting that defensive prospect, eating up Galchenyuk's salary for the end of a lost season. Like that's a great haul for many as Garen starts to, you know, cement his legacy and, and start to put a stamp on this roster. Um, from Pittsburgh's perspective, this is awesome. Um, this is a guy, as you mentioned, that they've long coveted. This is a guy that's under term for the next couple years, which is important for them because they're always going up against the cap. And this is a guy that can play on Sydney's wing. He plays a really good brand of hockey that meshes well with their style. Um, they've been looking for a scoring winger probably before, but especially since Jake Gensel was out for the year. And this just cements them as, you know, I, I think probably Wow. Cements them as probably maybe. Um, this cements them as a contender in the East. I'll say it right there. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's already been announced that he's going to play on, on Sid's wing. Uh, you wonder how life changes uh, when Jake Gensel gets healthy. Um, but for now, it's the Zucker and Crosby show. And like you said, from a financial perspective, I mean, his cap hit um, – it seemed a little high when he wasn't necessarily scoring at the same level he was in his uh, contract year. Funny how that always seems to happen in the National Hockey League when guys have incredible career years right at the moment they're about to sign big contracts. But at um, at five point five million, if he's going to be a thirty goal scorer, like that's great. And and he's twenty eight. He's right in his prime. Um, they have cost certainty on the contract through two thousand twenty three, and. Um, yeah, and also like a dude who, by all accounts, is a real solid citizen in the room, a real solid citizen in the, in the community. Um, a good, good, good move by the Penguins. And and again, like compare what the Wild could have ended up with a year ago in this deal. A 32 year old who has cratered in Arizona, uh, or maybe he's 33 and Johnson's 32. I forget which one's which, but like both of them are, you know past their prime uh and and not exactly what a rebuilding team needs so you know thank you paul fenton for having a trade x'd out by phil kessel and thank you bill garen for actually making a deal that addresses the future a little bit for the minnesota wild but so this is like a little bit earlier than the trade deadline uh maybe we thought this could be a move that is um happening a little, you know, a couple weeks from now, we actually have to sit in a room and report on all this stuff. What's your vibe right now on the trade deadline as we are less than two weeks away from the uh, February 24th, 3 p.m. deadline in the NHL? You know, my initial fear is that this was going to be another really slow year. Um, you know, GMs you talk to say that everyone's looking for someone with term, and that's obviously much harder to trade. But, you know, this year, I get the sense with so many teams on the cusp, there could be movement of people trying to separate from the pack. And like a perfect example is the Colorado Avalanche, who are a super talented team. Everyone's lauding them as a contender already. Um, they were already thinking of adding luxury items like, you know, they sniffed around on Taylor Hall when that was going down. And now that they're out Nazem Kadri for, you know, a little bit of time. 
I wouldn't be shocked if they go out and get a big name and, and get a mm-hmm. scorer that can help uh, Nathan McKinnon relieve some pressure from him. Well, they were always sniffing around Chris Kreider. So we'll see if maybe that comes to fruition at some point. But Everyone's sniffing around Chris Kreider. He smells great. <laughs> he smells great in any lineup. I'm, pro- I'm guessing, what do you think? Axe body spray or like Drakkar? What do you think he smells like? Mm, I think he smells like smelly equipment, which is like dogs smelling each other's butts. That's what <laughs> hockey players just love to smell. Very, very descriptive. Um, uh, our producer Ryan says that C- Chris Kreider smells like Sex Panther. Well, that's interesting. I, it's possible. Every, you know, it works every time. I think the interesting thing about, thing about the trade deadline right now is that we are less than two weeks away, but in, in two weeks, a lot can change. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in putting together our, our sort of trade deadline preview stuff in the last few weeks, the usual suspects are there. I mean, you know, the Devils, the Senators, the Sabres, the Wings, the Kings, the Sharks, you know, Duckies. Um, but now that we're getting closer to it, you start to see a like, you know, Montreal had a horrible loss last night as we do this podcast. They're now seven, uh, sorry, eight points out of the last wild card spot. That's a team that can now maybe flip the switch and become a seller. The Rangers we knew were going to be a yeah, seller. Especially if Shea Weber's out a bit. Right. Um, the Panthers, probably not a seller. They're, they're kind of still in the thick of things, but you go to the Western Conference. I mean, what's to think of the Nashville Predators? Uh, they're right in the thick of things, but are they going to be that team like the Blues were a few years ago where David Poyle just decides to break glass and say, you know what? We need to kind of change the configuration of this team because I don't know that we can win right now with this, with this roster. Um, what do the wild do? The, the Blackhawks for a hot minute were a contender. Uh, now they've moved back a little bit. They have a couple games in hand. What happens with the goaltending that's, you know, buoyed their, their playoff chances in the last month or so? So there's a lot of sort of flux right now with some teams at Montreal, very much in particular, that could easily flip from being teams that were like, I don't know, maybe we should just hang on to our guys. We can get in the playoffs. The teams are like, sell, sell, sell. I think it's going to be an interesting two weeks to see where these teams end up. The only team that I'm confident is going to unload players is the Kings. Like, Mm -hmm. when there's enough smoke and it's, like, really, really cloudy over there in L.A. these days, like, there's going to be fire. And Tyler Toffoli is not going to be on this team in a month from now. Um, There's other – Alec Martinez, I I think teams will probably try to make a big trade for him. So that's the one team that, like, if you want to make a sure bet of who's going to make a move, I'd say it's the Kings. Um, other than that, like, you know, the other bottom feeders just don't have obvious candidates to trade. Like the wings, you could probably say anyone is on the table outside of Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha, but does anyone want anyone on that roster? Like, does anyone want Andreas Anastasio? Um, Mike Green. You know, look at this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the senators, there's not many obvious candidates there, like John Gabriel Pajo, 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 Pajo. Should I make Pajot. it sound more French? Uh, if, you know, they don't figure out an extension, maybe he goes. And then the Devils, like, we still haven't quite figured out what's going on with the Sammy Vontanen, um, and Andy Greens, who are both impending UFAs. Yeah. And, and then the real interesting one there, for all the talk about Tomas Tartar potentially being available for the Montreal Canadiens, man, give me Kyle Palmieri any day of the week, uh, if, if he's available. But again, the thing about the Devils right now is that, we understand their lot in life. We understand it's going to be yet another sort of form of a rebuild. Uh, we understand. And they also have an interim GM where we don't know yeah, how much leeway he has from ownership. Like Palmieri could get, bring, bring him back a lot of value, but like, you know, he sure and Hughes got to have somebody to pass to. <laughs> like it's not, yeah. it's not as if they're going to go in the tank completely for the next, you know, six years or something here. Um, 
it's kind of a bummer to think that you and I have covered deadlines in recent memory that involved will John Tavares be traded? Will Eric Carlson be traded? Will Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone be traded? And now we're all kind of lighting candles to see if, you know, Pajot goes or, or where Kreider is going to go or the Alec Martinez derby. It's kind of a step down from the big blockbuster th- theories and, and, uh, and hopes and dreams of previous deadlines. That said, there are a few wild cards at play here that if they, if they become available or if they, their teams decide to go in a different direction could change the complexion of the trade deadline. Max Domi's one of them. RFA this summer. I think a guy that they want to bring back in theory, but he's got no trade protection. If they get blown away by something, Montreal might go someplace there. The minute Ryan gets laugh or Joe Thornton says, you know what? I think I'd like to move on and do something else. They're going to be traded. I don't know if either of them will, have, will say it within the next two weeks. Probably not, but who knows? Uh, PK Subban, if the Devils gobble up half that contract, you wonder whether or not the Leafs might be in the PK Subban business. There's sort of speculation coming from Toronto that that might be the case. And, you know, the thing that we both want to see happen, but probably won't happen because Arizona is way too close to the playoffs. The recycling of Taylor Hall, now only $3 million against the cap because of, uh, of the, um, the salary the Devils gobbled up. And, uh, you know, the, the, the John Jacob, by all accounts, thinks that he's got a chance to re-sign Taylor Hall. I don't think that he has a chance to re-sign Taylor Hall. I think Taylor Hall is going to play in a different kind of market than than Arizona, no disrespect to Glendale. Um, but, I mean, you don't get, you don't trade for Taylor Hall to then flip him if you have a realistic shot at the playoffs, as much fun as that would be. Right, especially with a team that's put so much premium on making the playoffs this year. Like, they have to do it. But like, yeah, if no, the, um, if you were, if you were the Bruins, okay. Yeah. And you were like dabbling in the dark arts of Chris Kreider or Tyler Toffoli. And you had this package and you're like, I'm going to spend this package on a, on a rental. Like, don't you go to Arizona first and say, look, we know you, we know you have Taylor Hall and you, you want to win things. But what if we gave you this and you give us Taylor Hall and his $3 million cap hit for the rest of the season? Like, don't you at least make that phone call if you're Don Sweeney? You, you make the call, but I have to say, John Chica has a pretty good record with trades. Like, he rarely gets fleeced. That's true. I mean, say what you will about the Coyotes, but he's he's been pretty good on the trade front. Uh, all right. All right. So I'm going to end this line... with make one one prediction of something that oh, you think is going to happen. Okay. One Mine? prediction. I th- Go ahead. Chris Kreider is going to be a blue. Wow. St. Louis <laughs> Blues, I think they're going to pull the Patrick Kane with Vladdy Tarasenko's cap hit. Uh, kind of... Maybe say, look, he's got to need a couple weeks. He's going to debut in the playoffs. Use that cap space. Get Chris Kreider. Go all in on defending the cup. Mm, man. One prediction what? for the trade deadline. All right. I'll, I'll go here. Uh, Sammy Vatten into the, to the Capitals. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I think, I think they're going to bolster their blue line before, before the, uh, the postseason. Um, of course, it would help. Maybe they should trade for a mechanic to put the wheels back on because they've certainly fallen off in the last week or so for the Capitals. My God. Um, all right. Let's talk to an absolute legend. We're going to class up the joint for a few minutes here with Willie O'Ree. And now joining us on the line is a very special guest, Hockey Hall of Famer Willie O'Ree. Willie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure, Emily. So I have to ask about this documentary, which is streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Um, how long has this been in the works? And tell me a little bit about the pitch they made to you that they wanted to make a documentary about you. 
Well, it uh, it all started with, uh, with Brian McBride, who was the producer, and um, uh, he got together with me. Oh, this is back probably uh, I'd probably say about two years ago, and uh, he says, "Well, he says uh, I think we should do a documentary on your life." And I said, oh, my goodness, uh, that would be nice. And he says, uh, uh, it would take some traveling. Um, you know, um, we would be contacting a lot of your your friends uh, in your hometown, uh, a lot of places that you um, played. And so um, it all started. And then uh, Brian came to me and said, uh, yes, he says, it's, uh, it's in the final makes. And uh, he says, we'd like you to take a look at it to, to uh, see what you think. So... At first, it didn't jump out at me, you know. It, um, but I was I was excited to see um, a lot of my friends, uh, places where I had um, I had played, um, um, friends that I had uh, known for years, and uh, then I saw it um, two or three times, and I uh, then it just started to sink in with me, and I said, "Gosh, I said this is they certainly did a, a fantastic job of filming and traveling around and um, talking to some of my." old friends that I've known for over 70 years. So um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled, and I, I'm just overwhelmed uh, that it's going to be uh, shown on uh, on ESPN. When people watch it, what do you hope they get out of it? Well, I hope they get out of it. Not only um, the uh, the hockey interest that I that I played. You know, I, I only played with the Boston Bulls for, for 45 games um, spanning um, three years. But um, the work that I uh, I started doing um, uh, when uh, Commissioner Bettman appointed me the director of the NHL's um, um, diversity program uh, about uh, traveling around and uh, I just wanted to give back to hockey and give back to the sport what hockey had given me and I felt that I I had something inside of me that I could share with boys and girls in helping them choose another sport that they could play. And uh, traveling around uh, North America uh, with the uh, um, the cities that I have gone to, I have, I just hope that they they um, they get out of um, seeing the work that I've done and um, the the lives that I've touched over the years. There's this quote that you said that really stuck out to us. Uh, to me, I didn't know I was breaking the color barrier until the next morning when I heard it in the paper. Is there any part of you that maybe thinks that could have made that experience easier for you? Well, um, I don't. I don't think so. You know, I had gone to the Bruins training camps on two occasions in 1957 and 58, and um, you know, I was keeping my fingers crossed that um, hopefully I'd get the opportunity to to be called up with the Bruins. Uh, but when they contacted the uh, Quebec Aces, the team that I was playing for in um, in Quebec, Canada. Uh, and said, we want to read and meet the Bruins in Montreal to play two games against the uh, Montreal Canadiens. So when I arrived in uh, in Montreal, um, I had, I had uh, met uh, Milt Schmidt, the coach, and Lynn Patrick, the general manager, and they, um, they sat me down and said, Willie, we brought you up because we think you could add a little something um, to, our, to our club. And uh, all I was thinking of then is just trying to, um, when I get on the ice, is to play a good game and represent the, you know, the, the hockey club to the best of my ability. But it didn't go through my mind about that I was breaking the, breaking the color barrier or, or opening doors for other players of color and black players. But uh, honestly, when I um, the next the next day, and then I read it in the paper because my parents come up and some good friends come up to watch the game, and I was just so thrilled about 
you know, beating the Canadians that night, we shut them out three nothing, and uh, that's all I could think of was, uh, you know, winning, uh, winning um, against the Montreal Canadiens. I didn't get any goals or no assists, but uh, just to beat beat the Montreal team uh, was just a feat in itself. Hey Willie, it's Greg Wyshynski. Thanks for doing this. Um, you you recently uh, addressed the uh, Kimalu situation. Obviously, him stepping forward and making accusations against Bill Peters and Peters uh, resigning in shame because of it. And I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows that we applaud Akeem for having done what he did. You did the same thing. What were your thoughts on on that situation and and what uh, Akeem uh, was able to do uh, to affect change? Well, I'm 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 very pleased that uh, that he he took the opportunity to to, to step up and and uh, and um, uh, you know tell tell what happened. Uh, I had um, racial remarks and racial slurs directed towards me when I when I played, but um, you know thanks to my older brother who was not only my brother and my friend, but he was my mentor and he taught me a lot of things that I would need to know if I was going to choose hockey as a career. And he said, first of all, he says. Names will never hurt you unless you let them. And I, I, uh, I went out. I knew I was a black man. Um, I didn't have to be told that. I just went out and uh, concentrated on playing hockey. And um, I let all the racial remarks and slurs go in one ear and out the other. I, uh, I, f- I fought a lot when I first um, when I first started. I fought because I had to, not because I wanted to, but players just wanted to see uh, what I was made of and. Uh, you know, I always tried to protect myself because back then we didn't wear any helmets. The goalies didn't wear any masks, so your face was exposed to pucks and sticks and everything else. But uh, I, um, I, I just I want to give credit to these um, these players that are playing now that stand up and just tell them, and you know, we just can't we just can't stand having racial remarks and racing racial slurs directed towards these players. That said, you also said recently that when it comes to the NHL and race or uh, the sport in general and race, that we've taken one step forward and two back. What did you mean by that? Well, I meant, uh, you know, um, when I broke in, I was I was the first black player. Uh, Fourteen years later, uh, Mike Morrison broke in with the Washington Capitals, and then later on with the Los Angeles uh, Los Angeles Kings. But um, uh, in the statement I made, I'm thinking. Uh, we're, we're heading. We're heading in the right direction. Then all of a sudden, um, you hear these racial remarks and racial slurs from from these fans, fans in the stand. So uh, it doesn't seem that we're going that the going that far. Um, and the, the thing is that um, this is a this is the twentieth going in the twenty first century. And I, I, I'm just shocked that these things that uh, are still happening. These racial remarks and racial slurs are still happening. Um, uh, in the league, and um, these these players of color and black players, they're there because they have the skills and the talent to be there. They're not there just because they're black. They have skills and talent, and um, basically, I just think that uh, um, it's going to get. We're working in the right direction, but um, some days I think that we've already taken a, a step back, and then so now we've got to take another uh, another step forward to to keep going and and, and recognizing. Um, what the uh, what the potential goal is. Willie, you've been so involved in hockey is for everyone and making the sport more inclusive, especially at a grassroots level. And we are seeing a lot of progress in that. But if you look at NHL front offices and their coaching staffs, there's very little diversity. And we often see the same guys getting hired again and again, the same guys who have had opportunities before. 
I'm curious, you know, I know the NFL has a Rooney rule and the demographics in the NFL are different, but is there any version of that rule that could make sense in the NHL and what would that look like? Well, you know, the opportunities are there for anybody that wants to be a, a referee or a linesman or a general manager or or, or, or going, going into coaching. Um, the opportunities are there. You just have to, uh, you just have to, uh, you know, set goals for yourselves and work towards your goals. I, uh, I use myself as an example. When I, when I was 17 years of age, 14 years of age, I told my, my brother that I wanted to become a professional hockey player and what do I need to do? Well, uh, being the youngest of 13 children, I, um, <clears throat> I had to stay in school and get an education. Um, I played a number of sports growing up, but uh, I had set my goal to play professional hockey and hopefully one day get into the National Hockey League. And I think that this is what a lot of uh, a lot of people um, have to do if they want to get in. If they want to get into a career, you you need to set goals for yourselves and you need to stay focused on what you wanted to do and don't tell anybody that don't let anybody tell you you can't attain your goal. And, and my message is that if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you're right. And there's a lot of truth to that. I totally agree with you. That said, is there anything the NHL can do to help facilitate and make sure that these opportunities are being given and people are given fair looks for these jobs? Well, the, the doors are open, you know, and um, I think the NHL is doing everything they can, you know, to, to make it possible for, for these people to, to get these positions. Um, you know, uh, you, have to, uh, you have to feel within your heart, within your mind, that you, you, you want to make something happen, and, and you, if you if you think you can, it'll 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 work for you, and you can make a difference. Willie, uh, Emily, and I go to a lot of different events, all star games, all sorts of stuff. We've seen you so many times at these events, meeting and greeting people, taking pictures with kids, that sort of thing. What does that experience mean to you? I mean, we're talking 2020 now. You know, it's a long time since your playing days, and yet people are coming up all the time to get pictures with Willie O'Ree. I know it's uh, it's it's a nice feeling, really. Um, you know, since I since since I came aboard the NHL, and uh, you know, I just wanted to give back give back to the sport what the what the sport had given me, and um, I, I'm I'm so uh, I'm so happy that. You know, Commissioner Bettman gave me the opportunity to get back into hockey after I had re- retired from 1980, and then getting back into hockey in 1996. Um, I just have a great time. Uh, I know that people are going to come up to me and ask me for an autograph or a picture, and uh, you know, I can't, I can't even, um, you know, go into arena and get to my, you know, walk towards my seat before uh, you know people come up and recognize me, and I can see them pointing in my direction and. You know, and coming over and, and, and saying, Mr. Reed, do you mind if I get a picture with my son or daughter or so-and-so? But um, it's nice. It's, it, it's part of what I do. And um, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled that uh, I'm still able to uh, work at my age and uh, be, be a part of the NHL's family. What's your relationship to the current NHL right now? Do you do you watch it? Do you have any favorite players you like uh, enjoy seeing? Do you, oh, I got a lot of favorite players, oh, yeah? but I I just watching I just love watching the game. You know, um, you know when I played, uh, it was six teams. It was called the original six, and then in 1967 it, it expanded six more teams, and now we have 31. And then Seattle will be coming in next year, and uh, for for 32, and it's. Uh, the league it just keeps growing and growing. The uh, 
I love the um, the two referees, the two linesmen. Although still uh, they miss a, a few things, but um, the game is faster. Um, the players are bigger, stronger, better conditioned than than I was because they have the facilities right in the arenas to keep themselves in the uh, top physical condition. Um, I, I think the fans are enjoying the um, um, you know the three on three and. Um, uh, the shootout. A lot of them love the shootout. So um, they're doing things to make uh, to make the the game more exciting for the fans. And uh, I have the NHL package, and I watch uh, in my home. If, when I'm home, I watch you know four or five games uh, a night. And um, it's it's the game is the game is just a, a great game. I think it's the the greatest uh, sporting game on earth. I hope Gary gave you the the, the free discount code. For the pay-per-view package, I mean, for goodness' sakes, least he could do. Uh, Gary, Gary takes good care of me. Uh, yes, I, I'm very pleased and very happy. I'm curious. You know, I, sorry, I was a little focused on the coaches and GMs thing, but are there any rising stars right now in the coaching ranks or GM ranks that you think that fans should pay attention to and could be the first black coach in the NHL or first black GM? Uh, uh, not right off, not right off hand. Uh, there's, uh, I imagine there are some uh, individuals out there that you know that want to get into the coaching, and some of them that are probably coaching junior or college uh, college teams um, would possibly uh, uh, consider you know uh, getting into the uh, into the NHL's um, um, system. All right, Willie, last one because this is the, the question everybody's been asking around hockey for the last like two weeks. But, <laughs> You ready? Is, yeah, yeah is, I am, sir. Is Ovechkin going to break Gretzky's record or what? I believe so, yes. The way he's going, <laughs> if he doesn't get hurt, I say yes. Oh, man. What do you think about Like, did you have, did you think that goals record for Gretz was, like, unbreakable? Or did, I mean, did you think it was <laughs> no. somebody could get it one day? Oh, I, I knew that I knew somebody would get it one day, you know. You know, you know back then... Uh, in the NHL, uh, you know, when you scored 30 goals, 30 goals was a big year, um, you know, and then all of a sudden there's there's a 40 goal score, and then you know, um, players Gordy Howe and, and Bobby Holland, those were getting uh, you know 40 and 50 goals, but you know the the equipment now is much better, the uh, everything is much better now, it, uh, the sticks are, are are so much better than the, uh, than the wooden sticks that they used uh, back then and. Um, I, I just think that the, these players, these players that have that have the skills and the talent, um, they'll 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 work towards breaking that breaking that uh, that uh, that uh, that goals. For sure. Well, Willie, we so appreciate your time, especially because you're calling in California and you can be enjoying the sunshine right now. So, thank you. <laughs> we cannot wait to watch your documentary on ESPN Plus, and encourage all of our listeners to do that as well. Yes, I, well, I'm excited about uh, uh, about seeing it. Um, you know, my, um, I'm here with my wife, and uh, we'll definitely be uh, be watching it. And uh, I'll be telling my uh, my friends that are that I know here in the San Diego and La Mesa area, and I'm sure that they'll be uh, tuned in uh, to watching it. Thank you so much, Willie. You're welcome, sir. Emily, thank you. Our thanks to Willie O'Ree. All of Famer, absolute icon. 
Uh, Willie, the documentary, critically acclaimed, will be available throughout the month of February on ESPN.com, uh, which you can, of course, get on your desktop or on the ESPN app. And we'll have four airings on ESPN2, the 17th, the 18th, the 20th, and the 24th. Check your local listings, but you can check that awesome documentary out on The Deuce. Um, also awesome stuff, Emily. Uh, the IOC has come a crawling back to the NHL saying nobody gave a crap about our hockey tournament last uh, time in Pyeongchang. We would like to be back in the NHL business for Beijing. Um, the big news this week, uh, a meeting between the IOC, the NHL, and the NHLPA, uh, double IHF there as well. Um, the IOC willing to go back to original levels of funding for things like travel, insurance, housing, um, all the things that they used to pay for then decided not to anymore. On top of that, loosening the restrictions on marketing rights, whether it's the use of still images or video, um, Olympic markings, the ability to maybe, you know, promote, uh, and make some dough off of Olympic branding. All of this stuff now on the table, the NHLPA optimistic saying, Hey, this is what you guys been asking for. The NHL being like, I don't know, the owners might not still want to go. And uh, it's an interesting time, isn't it, for the Olympic uh, debate? I feel like the NHL is really on the clock right now because this is everybody else calling out their bluff. They've used it as a convenient excuse that, hey, we're not getting any marketing out of it. They're not making it easy for travel, insurance, like all of these things just don't make sense for us to go. And now, with as you said, the IOC taking all those things off the table, they're like, okay, well, what's holding you back? Why don't you want to go? Like, if you want to show that Sidney Crosby Canada goal on NHL.com, do it. We're not stopping you. Like, that's your big holdup. And now the NHL really has to admit that this was a convenient excuse. They just didn't want to go because it doesn't make – they don't think it makes money for them, which as we all I think you and I agree, and I think a lot of players agree, and I think a lot of fans agree, is a little short-sighted. Um, that's only looking at the direct, immediate impact of the Olympics, and not the bigger, larger picture of global outreach and, and appealing to more casual fans. Um, but yeah, th- this is super interesting to me. Um, you know, I, you see right after this happened, Bill Daly is, you know, still reiterating their point. We're not close to being there. We continue to believe the negatives outweigh the positives. Um, but the pressure's on them right now. It is. Um, I'll have a, a column on this on, on Thursday, um, but I find it to be a, a real kind of head-on-desk thing for a lot of us when it comes to the Olympic issue. Let me explain. I stand with the NHL in their fight against the IOC, the single most corrupt organization outside of FIFA. And I think that they played their hand really well because the NHL said, look, we don't think we get anything out of going to Pyeongchang also, the IOC is is skimping on the money they used to give us. We're not going to go. Uh, so a bunch of replacement players went. Nobody cared. And the IOC said, you know what? Maybe we should just go back to the way things were. So kudos to Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and everybody else for taking a stand and calling their bluff. And, and now the IOC comes a-crawling back. That was smart. And I stand with them until it comes to the point when you realize that Maybe none of this is actually about the Olympics. Maybe all of this is simply them finding a pressure point to try to get the CBA extension they want 
They're using it as a thing where they're like, well, I don't know if we should go unless we get a CBA in place, even though the CBA deadline comes after the Olympics. The players are more than willing to figure out an international calendar going forward for Olympics and World Cups and Ryder Cups and all that stuff. They are less willing to tie an event that, again, happens before the CBA expires to the extension of the current CBA. And where I, I I really, 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 really get frustrated with the NHL is that they're on the side of good and light for most of this stuff because they really should get more out of the Olympic experience than they have. And then they turn around and, and they, they start getting it. And then it's still like, you know, for lack of a better term, playing grab ass and saying, well, I don't know if the owners want to go, even though they're getting everything that they kind of wanted in theory. So it's a real, it's, it's frustrating for someone who, who has supported the NHL throughout this fight against the IOC to now realize that maybe it's not about the IOC. I don't think it is at all. And to be quite frank, I still think that they're using all of these things as excuses. Like, I think once they turned in 2018 and didn't go and then kind of started selling those themselves and the owners on this idea, like, why were we even going in the first place? We're not getting anything out of it. You know, the risk of injury is too big. The, you know, the stoppage of the season is too disruptive. They really started believing it. And, and that's m- my personal belief is now they're going to be need to be talked off the ship because they really don't want to go. Yeah. Um, I don't believe they, they really don't want to go, by the way. I mean, really? I, 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 I just don't, I cannot process the amount of investment that they've made in the Chinese market, going over there, taking their product there, bringing the games there, working with the Chinese government who has given the NHL substantial money through different corporations to bring games there. Like all of this stuff leads to, a dream of Bill Daly's, which is to tap the Chinese and Asian markets better than the NHL has. They're way behind the other sports insofar as figuring out a way to monetize those, those markets. And I just don't think – it would seem so counterintuitive to me to spend as much time laying the groundwork as they have there to then not bring their product to the centerpiece event in Chinese sports for the next decade. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, but – Listen, it's the NHL. Wouldn't be the first time that things didn't really make sense to me, decision-wise. Um, I understand I they don't want to shut there. down. Their, I, they don't want to shut down their season. If they do shut down their season, they want to keep all the profits. I completely understand that. But from a league perspective, and from a, like you said, a big picture perspective, it just seems um, like a no-brainer to bring your product to China if you've been trying to bring your product to China and you have bought your product to China. Okay, here's something I want to throw out there, though. We know that Gary Bettman came from the NBA and is often influenced by decisions that they made, including wanting to establish a presence in China. What happened with the NBA in China the last couple months? Daryl Morey happened, and that became a huge eyesore for the league and really hampered their goals there and, and in many ways set back and became a huge distraction and, and maybe cost the league, you know, maybe millions of dollars. Are they mm-hmm. risk averse in that sense and are scared that there could be a Daryl Morey that kind of screws it all up for them? And they're like, you know what? We're playing with fire here. Maybe China's not as important as we thought. It's entirely possible. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ruling that out, but at the same time, it's like, they're still, I mean, they've still been digging for, for oil there. <laughs> you know, it's not like they haven't been looking. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as if they don't know the political realities of, of the Chinese government. 
Um, and they're still, you know, bringing games there and bringing players there and having, you know, guys glad, glad hand fans and things like that. So, but I, it, I don't, I don't dispute the fact that there, there are certainly some considerations of that nature when it comes to, uh, being in business with the Chinese. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I, I tend to believe this is going to work out. I've always been optimistic that it's going to work out. I never really bought the idea that we weren't going to Beijing. Um, Mm, but we'll see. You see, you seem more pessimistic than I do. I am. And mostly just because I've listened to Bill Daly and Gary Bettman for the last more than 18 months. It feels like two years now. It's not imposturing. It's just the same things over and over again where they're drilling out. They don't want to go. They don't want to go. They called the IOC out on all their bluffs with all these deadlines and, or it was the IIHF with Renee Fassel saying like, oh, you've got to get us to this deadline. They called them out. They called them out. And I just feel like they have such a stronghold on this idea that they don't want to go. Um, they kind of hold all the leverage right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shall see. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kesselov's Hot Dogs. It's the moment where each week we take a look at the hockey media and the things that are said that are dumb and the reactions that are made that are dumber. Uh, Damian Cox has appeared in this segment many times and he appears again this week talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending. On February 5th, after Michael Hutchinson was... uh, torched by the Rangers. This is on Kyle Dubas. He designed this all-skill, no-D, no-grit team. He said two years to get a backup goalie. He believes in hockey theories few others do. That's fine, but if this team can't make the playoffs, it's on him. 20 minutes later, after the Leafs trade for Jack Campbell, Damian Cox. Dubas obviously realized you couldn't wait any longer. (laughs) Campbell should be an upgrade in goal. Yada, yada, yada. Damian Cox, two days later on February 7th. Leaf goalie problem not solved, apparently. Damian Cox, two days later on February 9th. Not sure about the tying goal, but otherwise, Jack Campbell last night represented a promising step forward for the Leafs in dealing with their goalie changes. (laughs) Looked in charge. I don't know about you, but I got whiplash. (laughs) I'm actually wearing a neck brace right now. I got so much whiplash. So where did we land here? Is is he the answer? I think prom- promising promising step forward is where we are uh, four days after um, uh, t- he's had two years to get a backup goalie. So there you go. All right. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, Alberta. Ugh. Bad news for both the Flames and the Oilers. Obviously, Mark Giordano, uh, week to week with a hamstring injury that happened since the last podcast and announced today as we do the podcast, Connor McDavid out two to three weeks with a quad injury. Uh, he's gone back to Toronto to uh, rehab, uh, with his people. Not good news at all. Horrible news, in fact, for those of us who are dying to see Connor McDavid in the playoffs. Can the Oilers survive without McJesus for three weeks? No. But uh, they can uh, maintain status quo, which is maybe, you know, split the next few games. And look, their next six games are actually against Eastern um, Division opponents after they play the Blackhawks tonight on Tuesday. And then when McDavid should be back, which is the end of the month, is when they go against the Pacific Division again, um, which is such a tight race in anyone's game. So 
maybe they can starve off, um, you know, total sinkage until then. Uh, but I wouldn't expect anything great out of this team for the next two to three weeks or however long McDavid ends up being out. The oil, as we do this podcast, have 64 points tied for second in the Pacific with Vegas. Uh, keep in mind that the Arizona Coyotes are currently the team on the outside looking in and they have 63 points to remind you how close and tight and how three bad weeks away someone could be from being on the outside looking in of the Pacific Division. Dateline Alex Ovechkin. So he's at 698 goals as of Tuesday, two games in a row without a goal with the world watching. Clearly, Emily cracking under pressure. How much money did Barry Trotz put on the board yesterday to tell his team Alex Ovechkin is not breaking the record against us? Because the Islanders played better than I've seen them play in many, many moons. Um, yeah. yeah. One of the funniest things in that game, too, was just the maybe one of the longest waits for confirmation on a goal um, that Ovi potentially tipped in front of the net. They ended up giving it to John Carlson, but like they can't get that wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's good that they, they got it right. Cause as I think Wino pointed out, um, Ovechkin hits 700 and then gets one of them taken away after the game would be like peak <laughs> NHL. So glad that happened. Uh, I will be in, uh, Denver for the Caps next game on Thursday against the Avalanche. Uh, hey. hopefully there to witness history, but we will, we shall see. Um, he's, he's going to obviously hit 700 soon and, and I hope he does it sooner than later so he can stay on that 60 goal pace. And, uh, keep... So you can do it when one of those games are on ESPN Plus. Yep. So you can do it one of those games on ESPN Plus, but also could he, so you can keep slicing and dicing his way into that Gretzky record. Oh man, it's gonna happen. Uh, Dateline uh, Calder Trophy. All right, we've been talking Kale versus Quinn all season. As of right now, it it's the status quo. Quinn Hughes, your rookie leader in points as a defenseman. I mean, rookie leader overall, but he's also a defenseman. Uh, Kale McCarr has the better points per game average by a, a pretty wide margin over, over Quinn. But are we missing the big picture here? Are we arguing about two elite young defensemen when we should be talking about a certain hip swiveling goaltender in Columbus who might run through and win the Calder? Elvis Merzlikens? Man. I don't know why no one's asked this question sooner. It's genius. Yeah, we should be talking about him. He's probably the best story in hockey right now. And I look at the last goalies that won the Calder, for ironically or maybe unironically, it was Steve Mason uh, with the Blue Jackets. Um, he played a pretty much a full season, right? Um, but then you've got Andrew Raycraft with the Bruins. He went 29-18. Okay, that's a full season. Most of these guys have full seasons is what I'm trying to say. Um, but if Elvis is as impactful as he's been – I would give my vote to him. Mm. Um, as of right now, he has a 930 even straight save percentage or a 930 overall save percentage rather with a 219 goals against average, 12, seven and five overall, mm. 24 starts. I mean, we'll see long season, but obviously I think he's kind of exerted his will into that race a little bit. Uh, Dateline been caught stealing. Oh, look at Major League Baseball with its fancy, you, maybe we let the wildcard teams pick their opponents idea that they totally stole from the Southern Professional Hockey League two years ago. Come on. You tell them. Yeah. Everything that's great came from hockey. We know that. 
except for the stuff we steal from the NBA. Um, we've talked about this format before, I think, on this podcast. I, I still, I, I think there, there's two ways to look at it. One is that, uh, teams are cowards. They will just pick the team they're supposed to play out of fear of making the wrong decision. And, uh, and God forbid you, like, you know, are supposed to play the eight seed and you pick the seven seed because you think that they're going to be an easier matchup. And then the seven seed's like, you know what? We are now really angry. And then they, you know, sweep you blue jacket style. But where I think this format is interesting for major league baseball or any sport is the idea that if there is a catastrophic injury, you know, if, if, if you are, uh, in the Pacific division driver's seat and you have your choice between Arizona and Vegas and Vegas just lost flurry to injury and you have the ability to pick Vegas as your first round opponent because of that. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting wrinkle. Uh, if you were going to have this format, I suppose, do you, do you like the picking your opponents thing? I do. If the wrinkle also includes a big primetime TV special where you can make it entertainment. Uh, I think <laughs> baseball has learned in the past that struggling for relevancy is not easy. And look, they've been in the news lately for not great things, but at least they're relevant, right? It's like a big scandal where grown men are standing in hallways banging trash cans and a big trade that nobody understands why happened between two marquee franchises. Like those things are good and they keep people talking about it. And if you can get a big event on Fox prime time where you've got, <laughs> you know, Mookie Betts with the Dodgers going up saying we choose to play the lowly Chicago Cubs in the first round. Like that's awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. And, I, and I'm, I'm actually with you even beyond that. There should be more special event type things that happen in sports. Like, like one of my favorite things low key in, in all sports is the FIFA, um, world cup, uh, group draw. Like that's a mm, huge yes. fun event. And I wish there was more stuff like that for like the playoffs on an annual basis. Uh, two more dateline Anaheim, a record crowd for the U S national women's team on home soil. 13,320, uh, packed the Anaheim's arena to watch our, our heroes defeat Canada 4-3 on Megan Bozak's power play goal, uh, 42 seconds into overtime. Awesome event. Lots of people digging it and a big old crowd again for this barnstorming tour between the Americans and Canadians. I have to give credit here to the Anaheim Ducks who did a heck of a job promoting this event. And when it comes to women's sports, promotion matters. And they took this extremely seriously. They tried to get new fans into their arena. They tried to get existing fans into their arena. Um, and I know that the ladies appreciated it. And I think that should be the standard. Um, and, you know, I compare this to when they played in Hartford, Connecticut at the XL Center a few months ago. And, like, there were editors at ESPN, ESPNW, who didn't even know that event was going on, which is just a shame, really. So um, I've got to give credit to the Ducks. And this seemed like a great rivalry series it seems like momentum's going forward and um usa won so who's not who's not upset yeah. send them home, send them home happy as they say uh dateline finally dateline the oscars had literal tears in my eyes on parasite one i was so happy i love that movie it's a perfect movie and i love that who made it and i love how it got made and i love that it somehow somehow a foreign language film with actual subtitles uh, overcame a war movie 
uh, with uh, the British thespians uh, to win Best Picture. I couldn't could not be happier at the result of the Oscars. What what was your takeaway from these Academy Awards, Emily? That I need to see Parasite. <laughs> that I'm what the only th- uncultured idiot who hasn't seen it. Oh, I think a lot of people haven't seen it. To be honest with you, I think I think subtitles scare people. I, there was a thread that our good friend uh, Katie Bakes from The Ringer um, hit me to about like should dubbing movies versus subtitles. I think there's a large contingent of people that would wa- rather watch a dubbed movie than have to read subtitles. But the cool the cool thing about par- a Parasite, I've been trying to tell people, is that like yeah, there's stuff you got to read. Uh, to keep up with the plot, but it's not as if it is a constant stream of subtitles. Like, there's a lot in the movie that just tells the story through visuals, which is, you know, filmmaking. How exciting. Uh, what did you think of the Eminem drop-in, uh, 20 years after, uh, 8 Mile? The confused. Very, very, <laughs> very confused. Can you explain to me? I, I, he didn't perform when, when, uh, right. yourself won. So I guess this corrects the record. I don't know. Uh, it, it's it was a very random thing. It got thirst the crowd for relevancy. Woke up some people. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it, the Oscars were the Oscars, and uh, and congratulations to um, all the winners. Congratulations to Joaquin Phoenix for an all timer, um, except in speech that if you had a cow insemination on your Oscar bingo card, well, boy howdy, did you make out okay after that speech? Uh, now it's time for the rant line. Hey, Greg and Emily. Uh, something interesting that always kind of pisses me off about the hockey world in general is every single reporter, every single one, admits that East Coast bias is a thing. <laughs> Yet nobody, nobody does a single thing to try and correct those issues. I mean, I get it. Game start, you know, earlier on the East Coast and games on the Pacific Coast. And later, but as I, as a rabbit fan of a team in the Central, can stay up to watch uh, games that late, people who get paid to literally watch games can at least watch them the next morning. I don't know. Love the show. Thanks for everything. Bye. First of all, good sir, I'll have you know that Emily covers the Western Conference, has always covered the Western Conference. I'll have you know that. I relocated to California last year. So I don't know who this every hockey reporter thing is, but Emily and I are fighting the good fight against East Coast bias while working for a company based in Bristol, Connecticut. In fact, I truly believe that I have a central time bias. I believe that central time is the best time zone and all teams that play in the central time zone have an inherent advantage. So I will vote for all of them for awards. Oh, I would never vote for any Western Conference people for awards. I mean, I, I just, if that's East Coast bias, I'm biased. Yeah, I'm just going to no. vote for all the Eastern Conference. McKinnon people. for Hart, um, nah. Jordan Bennington. He can get the Vezina, sure. Pasternak, Hart, works. Carlson, Norris, um, Tuca, Vezina, um, Calder, uh, Victor Olofsson, based on sample size. <laughs> uh, yeah, Selkie, Buffalo's super East. That's a good pick. Yeah, Selkie, obviously Patrice Bergeron. Shout out to the God. Uh, yeah. Lady Bing, Austin Matthews, obviously. Yeah, Toronto. Um, we gotta get yeah. some more Toronto in there. Is there any other Toronto? Maybe you should get the Soup Man as a, you know, he hasn't played like 50 games, but you can get him in the Calder. Jack Adams again. goes to both. Jack Adams is a three-way tie between Mike Sullivan, Sheldon Keefe, and Bruce Cassidy. Mm. 
Can we get, um, figure listen. out a way to get Barry Trotz the nomination? <laughs> For real though, I, 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 I try not to be as cynical as I, I, I used to be about the PHWA voting. I had a good conversation with our friend Frank Saravelli about cynicism the other day and voting and the voters. I think, I think people have gotten better. I think people are no longer simply just paying attention to the teams they watch, paying attention to the games they watch. I think that East Coast bias has eased up a little bit when it comes to the awards. I think there is a, and also the PHWA does a good job of diversifying its voter base to try to get as many people from different geographic areas as they can involved and not just make it the Boston Toronto awards. So like, I think it's gotten better is, is what I'm trying to say. And I also think it, it has to get better because like if you, if your job is to cover hockey and you're never watching Connor McDavid or Elias Pettersson, like on a daily, on a regular basis, what are you doing? You're not covering 40% of the best players in the league. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I, 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 I don't disagree. It's a problem, but I, I think it's gotten better is, is the, the, the point. Thank you for the rant line. Thank you for, to the great Willie O'Ree for joining us. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski. You can read my stuff at ESPN.com. I, my column, The Wish List, comes out on Thursdays. It will be about the Olympics uh, issue this week. Also, my podcast, Puck Soup, with me, Dan Goes Brown, and Ryan Lambert, where we say naughty words, uh, is also uh, found weekly on iTunes. And uh, do check that out as well. And you were awesome on The Daily this week. I was, Mina yeah. Kimes, yeah talking me and Mina Kimes talking, talking Ovi. That's a... That's a real fun podcast to, to be a part of. And, and, uh, as I said to, to Mina, I was honored to be on because I was under the impression that it was going to be an XFL only podcast going forward based on her tweets. Um, well, so and I'm as I responded that, to you, I believe we're an XFL network going forward. So just an honor to be able to get some hockey in there. Exactly. Exactly. The XFL. What about you? All right. And I'm Emily Kaplan, Emily M. Kaplan. Follow all my stuff online. And all I have to say is bye. Bye. Bye.